We started this journey last week to look at the story of the king, the story of Jesus found in Luke chapter one, Luke chapter two, in the beginning of that book of the Bible, the gospel of Luke, um, towards the beginning of our New Testaments. And we looked at two lives significantly impacted by the move of God and the transition of what God is about to do as a new thing for the entire world. We looked at a priest, Zechariah, and we looked at his wife, Elizabeth, who had served faithfully all their lives, who had been actively involved in, in everything that was necessary at the temple, had served faithfully, had served upright. God declared them as upright. And then, yet, the one thing in culture that would vindicate Elizabeth the most, the one thing that would give her appropriate standing and relationship with the ladies in her community had been denied them. They had yet to have a child. And the story of the king began with a conversation with the angel Gabriel, with Zechariah, telling him that time had come, that moment had come, and they were going to have a child. And that child would be named John, and that child would be the forerunner to the Messiah, the one who announced and prepared the hearts of the people for the revival and restoration and forgiveness and renewal that God wanted to do in the heart of his people. Today, we move one step further in the Gospel of Luke, one step further in chapter one, and we meet another young lady. Actually, in this case, she's, she's young. Elizabeth was very old. According to their culture, she had just been engaged, she had just been betrothed, which puts her potentially as young as 12 years old. And that's a little difficult for us to grasp in our culture, but I think you need that to understand that this young girl is at an extremely young age and yet is willing, as we will see today, to do anything God wants her to do. The process for betrothal, the process for being a fiance in that period of history, in that period of Jewish culture, was a two-phase process. The first process would begin with an actual contract. The fiance would sit down with the dad. He would make the arrangements necessary. There would actually be a contract signed, and there would be an exchange of price. So, I'm going to put a want ad out for my daughter. No, we're not going to do that. My son, we'll put a one ad out for my son. This contract is established legally and binding. They are essentially, as far as law is concerned, married at this point. But then there is a year that takes place and transpires after the announcement of the engagement before the actual wedding takes place. They get all the legal stuff taken care of and then have the celebration. It is in the middle of that year, and so you can imagine the excitement, you can imagine the thrill, you can imagine how each morning she wakes up and she's looking forward to meeting her husband and knowing him and, and establishing all the same sort of dreams we have, establishing their home together, establishing and walking beside and helping him in his business, doing the things that she feels led to do, all the anticipation, all the, all the thought processes that go through looking forward to and, and hoping for such a relationship. Only in her case, the story of the king is going to abruptly interrupt. I want you just to listen to it. Um, feel free to look along with me in Luke chapter 1. It begins in verse 26. We have a repeating character. Gabriel the angel shows back up. This is in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Lazarus. 
to a virgin engaged, betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. So there is historical lineage out of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be for her to have favor with God. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found this favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even now she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see... When the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. The story of the king develops, the plot develops, the the narrative continues, and now we find this young girl, this teenage girl, Mary, being announced and proclaimed to from an angel that she is about to carry the Son of God. Supernaturally, miraculously, without the ability to explain, all at one time, these events colliding with all of the promise and all the hope and all the prophecy of the past. The prophecy of Isaiah that said that the, the mother of the Son of God would be a virgin. The prophecy that said this man will be both son of man and son of God simultaneously. The promise of God that said that there would never be a time when there wasn't a king on David's throne. That great ruler, that great leader whose heart was a heart after God's, who was told in Acts chapter 13 in an epitaph regarding his life that he would do anything God asked him to do. This moment that begins to change not just the history of the Israelites and the Jewish people, but it begins to change everybody that anticipated or waited for the Messiah, and it absolutely changes everything for every one of us who have discovered and met the Messiah, and Jesus is the king over our lives as well as the world. An amazing moment in the quietness of an evening 
An amazing moment in the excitement of two infants recognizing one another while still in the womb. The excitement of a woman who historically does not have the Holy Spirit of God prior to the coming of the Messiah. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Her baby filled with the Holy Spirit. Recognizing Jesus in that moment. And rejoicing. Literally jumping up and down as much as you're capable of doing that as an infant in the womb. Because the Savior of the world is going to be born. All through this story, there are parts that we begin to recognize. One of the things we recognize in this case is the grace of the situation. A lot of people look at it, and, and just like Mary, Mary was disturbed. She, she wasn't sure she liked or understood why an angel would appear from heaven with the raiment of glory in God's presence to announce to her, Mary, you are a blessed lady. You are favored. The Lord is with you. And of course it troubles her. But the angel reassures her and says, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And Mary makes me wonder how many times in my life I fail to recognize grace. Simple, life-changing grace. I mean, Mary's a special child. I don't want to take away from that. She is the mother of our Lord in his physical being. Beyond that, she doesn't really have much, quite honestly. I don't want to be offensive to to some people, but Mary, there wasn't anything particular about her. There wasn't anything special about her. She wasn't born in the right house or the right neighborhood. She's not on the right career track. All of this, 100% of this, all of the initiative is from God. The one thing you can credit her for on her own is she appears to have and live with a heart that's sensitive to what God wants to do, and she desires to serve God. But the ability to serve God and the ability to become the mother of the Son of God, the ability to become the mother of our Savior is all because of God's grace. She didn't earn it. She didn't didn't do some amazing thing by age 12 that caused heaven to stop and say, hey, did you see this one 12-year-old girl? I think she's a great candidate for being the mother of the Son of God. I think she's the great candidate for the single, probably most significant miracle in the history of created world being, in the the history of any activity of God. She's just so good. Let's choose her. Now, God chose her just like he chooses each and every one of us in spite of her. It's grace. From the beginning, Gabriel starts to speak. He says, look, Greetings, favored woman. Not greetings, well-accomplished woman. Not greetings, new powerful woman. Not greetings, new superwoman. Not, you know, none of that. Favored woman. God was initiating his grace to her. And that's honestly the way every single one of us make a decision to believe in and to trust in Jesus. We come to the conclusion, we recognize that I don't deserve this relationship. I I can't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to qualify myself. I can't make myself righteousness to demand my presence in the presence of God, in the holiness of God. I can't say to God, "Look look at everything I've done. Look at all the things I've accomplished. Surely you want to invite me home and I'll spend eternity with you. I don't have any justification 
or reason to believe that I could in some way or another justify or recognize myself as deserving God's presence. He makes that choice. He looks to me and says, you know what? In spite of all the things you've done wrong, in spite of the things you continue to do wrong, I love you so much that I want to express my grace to you. Because grace is the, being the recipient of completely undeserved love and acceptance. He initiates grace. But I forget that sometimes. And I, I get back on that track. I, I get back on that treadmill hoping, oh, okay, well, if I put in enough steps, God's going to be happy. If I cut down enough carbs, God, God's going to be happy. If I make this salary, God's going to be happy. If I give this amount, God's going to be happy. If I attend church this many days out of this many days, God's going to be happy. Now, while some of those activities may please God, the reason I'm in a relationship with him is because he said, no matter what you've done or haven't done, I love you and I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to be my son. I want you to live with me, and I want you to live with me forever. Recognize the grace in our lives. Because attempting to earn grace, attempting to discover grace in some way that is dependent upon us is a futile and oftentimes exhausting and energy-sapping experience. Grace means whether I've done anything or not or whether I haven't done anything or not, where I can think of any justification on why I might be in relationship with God, God says it doesn't matter. The only justification you need for a relationship with me is the fact that I love you more than anyone else and more than anything else you can understand. See the grace in our moments. Was there an experience this past week during the holiday season for us in Western culture? Was, it, was, there, was there an experience that you just thought for just a brief moment? You know, that was just amazing. It was amazing that that phone call came in. It was amazing that I got to see that person. Or it was just some moment that was just unusually spectacular. It, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a colliding of atoms. It was God working and moving in our lives. It's all grace. It's always, always been grace, and it always will be grace. And so it seems appropriate at the conclusion of our Thanksgiving holiday, moving into our Christmas holiday, that I make it a point this weekend. I make a point this afternoon. I make a point right now when I'm sitting here that I make a point to stop and say thank you. I, I wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't be alive and recovered and healed from this disease or this accident if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have this spouse, my husband or my wife, if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have my children if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have my job if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have meaningful relationships with my neighbors if it wasn't for you. The reality is, in my opinion, there is nothing worthwhile in our life that doesn't originate from the grace of God. None of us deserved it. None of us earned it. We weren't ever going to do that. But God said, let me give it to you anyway. Let me give it to you out of my love. And then if you're going to recognize grace, then you're going to begin to see and recognize miracles. What an, what an amazing time. And, and it's, quite honestly, it's beyond description. 
what Mary experienced when Gabriel shows up, greets her, which confuses her from the very beginning. She's at least humble enough. She apparently recognizes, I think I'm in over my head. I don't deserve this. And Gabriel's like, yeah, you're right. You don't. God favors you. It's his grace, but it's also his miraculous. He gives the message to her. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And listen to the description of what he's going to do for us. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, which is a symbol of, of, of stability, not just to the nation of the Jews, not to the Israelites, but to all people. He carries it on and says he'll reign over the house of Jacob, which takes the promise all the way back to Abraham forever. And his kingdom will have no end. There's no conclusion to it. I mean, daily right now, if I look at the news, um, I see all kinds of dire predictions about how the nation's going to fall apart. I've been through enough election cycles that I know it can get really bad before it gets better. And depending on how you vote in 2022, it could get really bad before it gets better. But see, I'm a citizen of heaven, Paul says. My citizenship is there. And my citizenship is there. And I'm eagerly awaiting a savior that will come back from there. One of the greatest joys of Christmas is the reality that even before Christmas gets here, Jesus could come back. The kingdom I'm a part of now requires that I'm responsible for the nation in which I live. And I'm responsible because I live in a nation where we, the people of the land, determine the rules and determine the regulations and determine the leaders. If there's any failure in that area, it's because we failed to be involved in the process. It's so easy for the news to blame whoever's in office, but you put them there. If they're in office, it's because you put them there. Because I know how I voted, but anyway, we won't go there. These moments that happen to us each and every day, we become so caught up in the story of ourselves and we miss the story of the king and we don't begin to recognize the miraculous way in which God is working. This simple announcement that what every Jew had hoped for, longed for, and waited for was about to happen. It's a miracle. The fact that Mary is going to be able to have a child. She's confused. She's not confused in a doubting way like Zachariah, so we need to kind of separate those two. She gets no correction. She, she, gets, she gets no sense of rebuke and definitely no punitive type of miracle like Zechariah did. She's just confused. It just doesn't make sense. I don't understand quite how this is going to work because biologically I'm not in a position to accomplish this for you. And the angel very calmly, kindly says, well, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. In fact, let me just tell you about a little miracle that happened six months ago outside in the Judean hills. Your relative, Elizabeth, has already conceived a son in her impossible old age. And this is the sixth month of pregnancy for this lady who has been ridiculed as childless because nothing is impossible with God. This week, and as we move into the Christmas season, it inevitably gets busier and more hectic and more difficult for us. 
don't miss the miracles. They oftentimes happen in the quiet moments. They oftentimes happen in the isolated or secluded moments. Oh, there's been plenty of miracles throughout history in huge ways that couldn't be missed. Nobody missed the parting of the Red Sea. But everybody could have missed the miracle of the birth of the Son of God. Just an angel and a teenage girl finding out that every dream is about to be fulfilled, every hope is about to be accomplished, and the Son of God is going to live with us, and his death will provide our forgiveness. Each and every one of us in here who knows Jesus and claims Jesus as our friend and as our Savior, we've already experienced the greatest miracle we could ever experience in a lifetime. But God is a God of miracles. They have not ceased. There is no real indication of that academically. He's just as real, just as alive in this moment as he has been throughout history. But it might take a little attention on our part. It might take a little slowing down on our part. It might take some quiet evenings or quiet mornings alone to hear his voice and understand what he's doing. Recognize grace, recognize miracles. And then I'll tell you one of the reasons I like Mary so much and one of the reasons I love this passage of Scripture when we talk about the story of the king and we talk about the story of Christmas is we have to recognize we do have responsibility. Understanding God's grace doesn't relieve us of responsibility. It just helps us understand how that responsibility is come about and how it is going to be accomplished. In Mary's case, down in verse 38, she just says, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. I don't, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that phrase. And I struggle with it all the time. God says, you're going to need to do this. You're going to need to move in this direction or make these decisions. And I can inevitably come up with a huge list, an entire filled journal of all the reasons that may not be the best idea. I wish I had the simple faith to just say, okay, I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do is what we'll do. I mean, we say stuff like that all the time. I I say it all the time to my wife. It's a common phrase, whatever you want to do today, until she tells me what she wants to do. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't have that in mind. Where do, you want to eat? Where, do you, where, where do you want to eat lunch today? Which may not happen early. Oh, we, I just finally got a clock. And this whole time I've never had a clock. And so I thought we were going to be late to lunch, but we're actually going to be on time. There's only one more point. But I, but I, but I do that. Maybe I should not have a clock more often. Maybe, maybe that would help. Um, trust me, it won't help. You know, but do you all do that? I mean, do, 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 you, do you do that? You have talked to your friend? I mean, do you know, your staff is incompetent as leadership. I mean, some of you already suspected that. We can't even make a decision about lunch. It's bad enough that I can't make the decision with my wife, but you get four or five of us in a car and say, okay, where do you guys want to eat lunch today? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Josh has suggested that we download an app on our phones that will make the decision for us. We can input the restaurants we like and we hit the button and it spins and tells us this is where you're eating today. It is one one of the most exciting moments of humility. You know, somebody, Steve's usually driving, and Steve will say, where do you guys want to eat lunch? Oh, I don't care. Wherever you guys want. And then Josh will say, well, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings. 
And I suddenly realized, you know what? I really wanted chilies. <laughs> Cody really wanted skeeters. Christy really wanted um, probably Everbellies. Steve just wants somebody to make a decision because he's behind the wheel sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> We're going to spend more time in the parking lot than, than we are at the restaurant. We, we, we want to believe where this willing, this humble, this, this adaptable, but the truth is most of us aren't. And so whether it's my dearest and closest relationship and I say, I don't really care where we go and then she tells me where she wants to go and then I'm thinking that wasn't really what I had in mind. Um, you know, or if it's a group of guys and ladies that get together, whatever, whatever our purpose is. I mean, and what Mary's going through is a whole lot more important and a whole lot more significant than picking out where you're going to go. But yet she look at an angel and say, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. I'm impressed that this young teenage girl had her identity so closely tied to her faith that when she described who she was, she described herself as the Lord's servant. I mean, she could have described herself any number of ways. In fact, it's become very popular to try to find unique and unusual ways to describe yourself. But her response, I'm the Lord's servant. Recognizing our responsibility, recognizing who we are in Christ is such a significant part of this story. I know who I am and who I am as a servant of God. And whatever he wants to do. This is one of those verses that probably you've never memorized or been challenged to memorize, but I would challenge you. The verse 38 is worth memorizing so that you can let the scripture seep into your heart and touch you and you can respond to any situation. See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Yeah. You want me to go talk to this neighbor about Jesus? Okay, I'm willing to do that. I'm the Lord's servant. Well, yeah, you want me to give to this international mission offering? I'm the Lord's servant. All I'm doing is managing his funds anyway. It's not mine according to the teaching of Scripture. Lord, do you want me to participate in that ministry and volunteer and give up my Saturday morning? Sure. I'm the Lord's servant. Every day, and I do mean every day, we have these moments where we have the option to say, I'm yours and whatever you want to do. Or we can say, I'm mine and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But if I recognize grace and I recognize the miraculous, then it's easier to recognize the responsibility and say, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever you want to do, I'm following you. The very last one is promise. She arrives in the end of that last chapter, in the end of those last verses, 38 through 40. And she gets to Elizabeth's house. She hurries out of town. She goes to the hill country of Judah. She, she goes there where she enters Zechariah's house and she greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth is astonished because when she hears Mary's greeting, John the Baptist inside of her, in her womb, jumps, leaps with, a, with, this, with this moment that's so exciting as the preparer is meeting the Savior. The prophet will welcome and introduce, even while in the womb, 
Wouldn't it be cool to be an evangelist? It's literally impossible because you can't get saved while you're in the womb. But wouldn't it be so cool if God put such a burden on my heart to exalt Jesus that even when I'm still not completely capable of doing it, my body and my mind reacts to the presence of God. There's, there's huge promise in this moment. Elizabeth expresses it and says, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. And then she's overwhelmed. Not that Mary came to see her, but that the mother of her Lord should come see her. When this greeting makes them, and when they jump, when John jumps for, leaps for joy, she realizes all that God is going to accomplish. Look at the last part of that phrase in verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And again, the story of a king comes at a time that has become very intentionally and not necessarily badly, very busy and very hectic for us. And it might be just a little bit hard during a season when we almost all pause to some degree or another and recognize who Jesus is. It might become just a little bit difficult to see the promise that God will fulfill. Your December may be filled full of medical appointments and questions and sometimes more questions than answers. In that moment, don't forget that God keeps his promise. And his promise is to heal you and to secure you so that you can spend eternity with him. Inevitably, just about everybody I know experiences some level of financial difficulties in December. And all of it comes at once. If you've got young kids, you're trying to get into the doctor before deductibles have to be remet in January. If you're, if you're trying to pay all your bills, and you know, our, we got our home HOA this week and tax bills are coming in and they're all due by the first of the year. Then you've got, of course, the things you want to do, the gifts you want to buy for your family. And you'll be tempted to do that in an extravagant fashion that takes you outside of the parameters of what's healthy for your family and what allows your family to be secure. And you'll buy gifts in December that you'll be regretting in March. And your kids will have forgotten by January 1st. There's so much pressure on us. And it might be helpful this December to remember that God is a God who loves, he allows us to manage his resources, and he provides. I love the way Jesus told us, look, everything else is doing just fine. The birds are okay, the grass is okay, everybody's doing good, but you folks, me, I'm worried and anxious about everything when Jesus said, don't be worried and don't be anxious. Seek his kingdom and everything else will be provided. Remember his promise. You make the mistake. Remember that he said he would forgive. And most importantly, if you don't know Jesus, Don't walk into this Christmas thinking it's another holiday when it is a reminder of the story of a king who gave up everything so that you and I might have everything. Jesus wants more than anything else today to be in your life and in your heart. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm willing.
Our band's going to come up. We're going to close out with a song. And then you get to have the conversation in the parking lot about where you're going to go to lunch and, and who's going to go. And that wasn't the place you were thinking of. We have marital counselors. Um, we can get you phone numbers to help you make those, those difficult decisions in the parking lot. In all seriousness, with everything that's going to happen the next four weeks, remember Jesus. Just as the Advent candle guided us this morning, he is the hope. And I hesitate to say for all the world because that's the same we always say. Make it personal. This Christmas, Jesus is my hope.